Well, hey there, Heritage family. It is so great to be with you this weekend. We are one church in multiple locations. And in this season, there are hundreds of locations as we are gathering in living rooms and kitchens all around our cities. In fact, we have one of our campus expressions is there at the Kiwanis Life Skills Reentry Center. And I just want to take a quick moment to just to shout out to our brothers there. I know this has been a difficult, challenging season for you, but I want you to know that we as a church family, we see you, we, we love you, we're praying for you, and we just want you to know in this season, although I know it is so difficult, that you are not alone. And we can't wait for the moment when we can gather back together with you to, to hug you and give you high fives and check in on how you're doing. But we want you to know this weekend that we see you and you are deeply loved. As we jump into this weekend, there are a couple things I want you to make sure that you're aware of. One is coming up this next Wednesday. Over the summer, we've been gathering uh, in outdoor worship environments to worship together, to pray together, to encourage one another. And coming up here on this Wednesday on August 12th, we have another opportunity uh, to do that uh, that's coming up. And so I invite you, there are details here on the screen, but save the date, be here on Wednesday evening as we have a chance to gather and to worship together to declare the great love of God, to declare that we are followers of Jesus, that our lives have been forever changed. In fact, as we jump into our service today, we're going to continue to take a look at this idea that all you need is love. And in fact, there's a scripture that, that speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 2, and this is what it says. It says, because of his great love, his agape love that we've been looking at and exploring together, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It goes on to say that it is by grace that you and I have been saved. You see, that is our story. We once were dead, but because of the great agape love of God, we are now alive. We once were lost, but because of God's great love for us, we are found. And so as we step into worship today, we're gonna to sing a song that's just simply called, Your Love Awakens Me. And as we sing these words, may it be the agape love of God that not only awakened us to move us from death to life, but that awakens us this morning to his presence and to encounter him. So let's worship together, lift your voices, lift your hands, and let's let the love of God awaken you and I today. Let's worship together. Greater, your love is stronger. 
Christian, I surrender all to you alone. King of, King of all generations, let every tongue and nation surrender all to you alone. You alone. So come, move, let justice roll on like a river. Let worship turn into
His glory knows no measure or refrain. It's bursting past the borderlines of space. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our
Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. Come on, one more time. Sing the name of Jesus. Jesus, enthroned upon the praises of our hearts. Jesus, you're the king and you're the center of it all. the practices that we've invited you into in this COVID season is to explore your pathway, your connection to God. Um, In our journey with Life in Circles, we had uh, just an opportunity for you to explore that a bit more. And if you've been connected to Heritage for any length of time, it's a conversation that we come back to. Because we believe that God has wired each one of us in unique ways to um, experience him, to fully come alive in him. And Gary Thomas talks about this in in the journey called Sacred Pathways. Um, For me, uh, one of my pathways is anywhere where land and water meet. It could be a lake, a river, preferably an ocean. That is a space for me as as a naturalist to connect with God in a new way. It's where my my spirit comes alive uniquely. And there's just a, an ability for God to speak to me differently when I'm, when I'm centered and experiencing Him um, out in creation. Um, and so for you, that might be as you explore loving God by serving others or um, in worship or maybe in solitude or in the study of His Word, but whatever that space is where you connect with God It is our hope and prayer that you've been leaning into that all the more in these last few months as we all have experienced different rhythms and patterns in our daily life. You know, we recently made another corporate invitation for all of us to journey together through YouVersion, um, reading along in the book of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. The plan that we've invited you to connect with is called The Writings of John. And so over the next 25 days or so, we're going to be collectively reading through that as we walk through a sermon series called All You Need Is Love, as we unpack the book of 1 John and what it really means to be a people who walk in the way of love. You know, the Gospel of John is really special because John had a special relationship with Jesus And so when we get to see Jesus through John's eyes, I think we're just catching a glimpse of Jesus um, that was uniquely loving and relational and accessible. And in the Gospel of John, chapter 17, John records a prayer that Jesus prayed. He starts by praying for himself, and then he prays for his disciples who are gathered there, and John would have been there. And then it's so powerful because Jesus prays for us. He prays in front of the disciples for all of the believers that would come throughout the journey of the book of Acts, that would come in the hundred years after that, and the believers that are living even today. I think it's so cool to think about a Jesus who prayed for us 
before we were even um, breathing air, but, but a Jesus who prayed for us in physical presence, but who still prays for us as he sits at the right hand of our Father. And so as we prepare our hearts today um, for the study of God's Word and, and looking at 1 John a little bit more, I would love for us to just let this prayer of Jesus for the believers wash over us and embrace us. Um, and just to kind of sit in that um, and then to be encouraged in that and to be emboldened by that and strengthened by that. So let's pray together, friends. Let's hear the words of Jesus. Oh God, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world will believe that you have sent me. I have given to these believers the glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It is then, it's then that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those that you have given to me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Oh, Father, would you show us the way of unity? Would you show us the way of peace? Would you give us courage to walk in the way of love as you did? Speak to us now, Holy Spirit, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Hey friends, I want to welcome you. Greetings to those of you who are watching from our physical service at Rock Island campus. 
Greetings to those of you who are watching remotely, wherever that happens to be, maybe from your couch or maybe you're listening to the audio on your car. Some of you told me that you commute to work listening to us. Maybe you're watching from somewhere else. I don't know. But regardless of where you're joining in from, I am excited you're here. And I'm excited that the Lord has already met with us and will continue to meet with us, particularly in this moment as we get ready to break open the word together. Now, we've been in the midst of this series, All You Need Is Love. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at 1 John, the the first letter on record from John to an early church group. And Pastor Sean has been leading the charge in a beautiful way, uh, looking at the first chapter of this great letter. And so today, we are going to look at chapter 2, specifically verses 1 through 14. In fact, I would invite you, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn or click to uh, John chapter 2, 1 John 2, verses 1 through 14. We're going to start in verse 1. I'm not going to get very far before I press pause with us, but let me read the first couple of words over us. John writes, my dear children. Now, I got to stop there because I love that phrase. It's such a great phrase. It's, it's really the first time that John uses this phrase in the letter. It's not going to be the last. So, so you know, get used to kind of hearing this. And it reminds me of a kind of a term of endearment that I might use with one of my family members. My, my 18-year-old daughter, her name's Emily. I, I sometimes will call her M or Emmers. Or when she was really young, I'd be like, hey, girly, how you doing? And for my son, 14 years old, probably don't do this as much, but, but call him Bub or Broski or, or something that won't, won't embarrass him. Uh, for my, my wife, Melissa, I sometimes will call her Melissa or Honey or Babe. You know, something that it's just between us. It's intimate. It's fondness that's expressed in a short verb or in a short phrase. And, and so I, I imagine that that's how John is using this term. He has fondness for his original readers. There is clear relational capital here. It reveals the pastoral nature of this letter. It reveals the sense of responsibility that John has for this group of people, that their spiritual parentage, my dear children, that should inform the tenor and the tone of this whole letter, what's come before and what's going to come after. And and it should just remind us that there is fondness in what John is writing. He loves these people. But let's keep going. I'm going to read a little bit more than three words this time. Let's look at verses one and two. Says this, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Now, let's stop there for a moment, and I should probably mention right here that these verses, verses 1 and 2, and really verses 1 through 6, are very tightly connected to the passage that we looked at last week. It's a passage that Pastor Sean unpacked for us, and that there's going to be some echo uh, between chapters 1 and 2, just like there's going to be echo from here on out. That's just how John writes. It's actually really beautiful how much connective tissue is, is here among themes and words and, and statements. And, and this is really good for us. It's, it's good that there's echo because this is important stuff, and it's good for us just to keep reflecting on it to allow it to get deep into our soul. Now, way back in week one, Pastor Sean 
made the statement that there's going to be several times in this letter when John's going to sort of pause and is going to say, hey, this is a reason why I'm writing this letter. And he does this in verse 1 for us. He says, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. Now remember, this is coming off an entire section of Scripture where John talks about walking in the light, walking in fellowship with God, walking in fellowship with other believers. That, that verse 1 makes complete sense. That, that, that he, he's saying, dear children, I, I want the best for you, and the very best for you is to stay in the light, to stay in fellowship with Jesus, to avoid the darkness, to avoid sin, to avoid anything that would diminish you or destroy you as a human. This is what he wants for us. But then you get to the rest of verses 1 and 2, and he gives us some really incredible news, and all of this is anchored around Jesus. And again, it's a bit of an echo from last week, but he says, if we do sin, if anyone sins, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our atonement. Now, atonement, that's a fancy $5 theological word, but, but really to simply... To simplify the term, it just it, it tells us that Jesus bore our sin upon his body as he died on the cross, and he provides a pathway for us to step into reconciled relationship with God. He, he provides a way for us to access abundant and whole life and flourishing. And if you're kind of tracking in your notes, you can say it like this, that, that Jesus provides a pathway to freedom. Now, I, I think this is so beautiful, but I think it's something that we sometimes will forget as Christians, that sometimes we can be our own worst enemy. I know I, you know, I, I confess, like, you know, sometimes we make a mistake. Maybe we'll say something that we regret or we, we slip up and we are willing to kind of hang ourselves on the hook and punish ourselves, not forgive ourselves. Maybe for some of you, it's a person in your life that is like this. They, they put you up on the hook when you make a mistake, and they don't let you off. You know, they, they keep you there. And in both of those scenarios, whether you're your own worst enemy or there's people in your life that are, that are kind of harsh, uh, those, are, those are dynamics that hold us hostage. And here John is saying to us, in the mercy of Jesus, he will take you off the hook, that, that Jesus is our safety net when we stumble. And that's really good news. It, it actually makes me think of tightrope walking. I remember a couple of years ago watching a documentary about a dude who, back in the 70s, back in 74, he walked, he tightrope walked between the two World Trade Center towers. So these are massive buildings, and he stretches a rope across them, and he does this thing. And I'm sitting here watching this documentary, and the first thing that goes through my mind is like, you're crazy, and never in a million years is the second thing that goes through my mind. I mean, I just never, never, I can't even comprehend. It's a risky business, one bad move, and it's over. And I sometimes wonder, friends, if we operate in a similar way in our faith journey. I sometimes wonder if we're led to believe sort of to a one-and-done kind of theology, like the, we make a mistake and, and we're now forever on the hook. We make a mistake and we're looking for the lightning to strike. But John here makes it clear. If you sin, if anyone sins, we still have an advocate in Jesus who pleads our case 
before the Father. And when we approach with confession, with the intent of, of repentance, Jesus picks us up, dusts us off, and continues to urge us along the pathway towards healing, flourishing, and freedom. Now, this is all so beautiful that, that all of us have needed and will continue to need an advocate because none of us are perfect. So this is good news for us. It's sort of like a, a pressure release, release valve that, that I'm so grateful for. When I look back at my life, I'm, I'm grateful for the second, third, and fourth chances that Jesus has given me when I've stumbled. I'm so grateful for that forgiveness that Jesus has extended. Now, this is not a license to get careless with life. This is not a license to, to, to freely sin. That, that's not at all what's going on here in the passage, and that's not what I'm saying. You know, one of the core reasons that John writes, remember, is so that we don't sin, so that we avoid sin in our life. So in this passage, he's talked about sin. He's talked about avoiding it. He's talked about our rescue from it. So what's the next logical question? Now, to me, as I read this, it's how do I know I'm living appropriately? I mean, how, how do I know then that the way that I'm living is pleasing to God? And John begins to answer that question and starting in verse 3, it's kind of a, an extended passage. It'll be our longest passage that we read together today. But join in with me. Let me read this over us, starting in verse 3. John writes, And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one that you have had from the very beginning. The old commandment to love one another is the same message you've heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims I am living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in the darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. So the question is, how do we know we're living in a way that pleases God? And John sets out to answer this. In verse 3, he says, obey God's commands. And in verse 7, it gets even more specific. Love one another. And, and you know what's really cool about this passage from John? All of a sudden, in this one moment, we are pointed back to the gospel of John. Now, this is why I love that we're kind of doing this reading plan together, this, this writings of John reading plan, where we're reading the gospel of John, we're reading the letters of John, because there, as I've mentioned, there's so much connective tissue that's so beautiful to untangle and to tease out and just to see what John has for us. And this is another one of those moments where there is a deep connective tissue that connects uh, between the gospel and this, this passage that we just read. Now, hang with me here, because I want to take you back to the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. And I want to just relay two, uh, two verses, verses 34 and 35. 
And before I read this over us, I want to give a little bit of context of what's happening. Because Jesus is spending his last evening before his death with his disciples. They're, they're gathered in the upper room, and, and he's imparting some last words. He's, he's engaging in, in some last displays of love. And so the verses that I want us to hear today together, they, they come at the very beginning of what is going to be a several chapters long interchange of intimate dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. But it happens just after, fittingly, just after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, a beautiful act of service and of love. And then this is what Jesus has to say to them in verse 34. It may sound familiar to you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, it seems clear to me that John is very intentionally connecting this this gospel of John 13 upper room moment to the, the letter, 1 John 2, that, that what he's trying to teach here. That, that it, it's this moment. It's actually, it happened on Thursday night and, and we call Thursday night on Holy Week, Maundy Thursday. It's actually this moment that we derive the name Maundy Thursday. Maundy is, you know, it's a Latin word for command and it signifies that moment when Jesus extends this new commandment to his disciples that we love each other as he loves us. And so if we connect the dots between John 13 and 1 John 2, we'll see very quickly that love is at the center of everything Jesus commands. Love is what should differentiate us from the rest of the world. You might even go so far as to say, all you need is love. All you need is the love of Jesus. Now there's something really interesting about verses 7 and 8 in John's letter. He starts by saying that he is not giving them a new commandment in verse 7. In fact, it's, a, it's an old commandment that's been passed down from the very beginning. But then in verse 8, he says something that might be a little bit confusing. He says, oh, but it actually is a new commandment. And I'm, I'm kind of reading through this passage. I get to 7 and 8, and I'm like, come on, John, what is it? Is it old or is it new? Clear this up for us. But then I stumbled across a Bible commentator. He made a great point. He said, something old can be experienced as something brand new because the old thing can become a new experience in the hands of a master. There's a lot of examples for this. You know, there's sci-fi fantasy films, but in the hands of George Lucas, there's Star Wars, right? There's theme parks all around, but in the hands of Walt Disney, there's Disneyland, right? There, there's frozen pizzas, but, but there's also Harris Pizza. There's steaks, but in the hands of a master chef, there's steaks, right? The, it's the old things that can be elevated to new and fresh experiences in the hands of a creative genius or a master chef or whatever it is. And I think that's what John's getting at here. The law of love has been around from the very beginning, You go back to Genesis and you go back to Cain and Abel. Cain broke the law of love when he killed his brother and he was punished for it. He was diminished as a human. Leviticus tells us that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's been around for a long time. It's an ancient command. 
But then Jesus comes, and Jesus was a relational genius, was a master of love, puts a new spin on all of it. He, he lived his life fully and completely from a place of perfect love. This old, ancient command is made new because Jesus was the first human being to actually live his entire life following this command perfectly. Right? In the hands of a master, it elevates the experience. Right? There, there's love but in the hands of Jesus, there's love. Now keep all this in mind as we revisit verse six again. Listen with me. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now friends, that is foundational. If you're tracking in your notes, maybe a way to say this is that Jesus provides a perfect model for love. Even more specifically, Jesus provides a perfect model of love for us to follow. He's the key. He's the way. If we want to understand how to love, his life is the one that we need to pay attention to. When we want to follow in his footsteps, that's when we'll learn to love in ways that become fresh and new and we'll experience love in just surprising ways because he's the master and something old in a master's hand can be experienced as something new, something extraordinary. And that's my prayer for you, me, for, for us, really, that we would follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that we would discover the power of his love to help transform our lives, to help transform our vision, to, to help us see our true purpose. I mean, John says it pretty directly in verse 11. Anyone who lives without love is actually living in darkness. And anyone who lives in darkness is not going to be able to see a way forward. It's going to be impossible to move forward, to find the path. And so the way that I read that is those who walk in darkness will actually never find their true purpose. And that's why Jesus is so important in all of this. He is our model. He shows us how to love as he even pours his love out on us, as he pours his mercy and his forgiveness on us, it should inform us. It should shape us on how we are to treat anyone that we come in contact with. And in so doing, we walk in the light. We walk with purpose. We walk in a way where, where our lives tell the story of Jesus to this world. My prayer is that we would be known as followers of Jesus by the way that we choose to live out the love of Christ. But then we get to our final scripture segment for the weekend, verses 12 through 14. And it's an interesting passage. Uh, there, there's a definite rhythmic and poetic nature to this next segment. In fact, if you are tracking in, in different translations, most of the translations, the the, the way that it's laid out even is it looks different than the rest of the letter. It's because it's, it's very, you know, it's, it's, it's designed to be a poem. It's designed to, to be kind of lyrically symmetrical. And, and John makes use of this in a really beautiful way. And I love it because there is something for everyone in this particular poem. There's things that 
John's already covered. There's things that he's going to cover. There's things that might be true in your life. But I think ultimately, John is, is using this poem to call things out in our life. That, that he's, he's almost saying here through this poem, you know, here's, here's you and your, your kind of old way of being. But in the hands of the master, in the hands of Jesus, look at the new things that can be, you know, experienced and demonstrated in your life. Those things that will burst out of you. It, ultimately, I think it serves as a reminder of who we are and who we can be as children of God. And it demonstrates that Jesus provides us the strength to overcome. So I'm going to choose to kind of read this poem over us, kind of as the, the, the last set of words that I'll say before I close this in prayer. And I just pray that you would sit in a place where these words just speak to your soul. John writes, I, I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I am writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. There's that overcomer bit there. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. And then check this out. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. We thank you that you have provided a way to freedom. We thank you that you lived a perfect life and that it's through your life that we can lean into a life of love, that love in your hands can be elevated to something that is surprising and fresh and true. And we thank you, God, for this reminder of who we can be in you, this calling out poem. May we live into this as daughters and sons of the living God. We love you. We thank you for loving us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
You know, in Jesus, there is always more to come, more opportunity to live and walk in the way of love, more opportunity to experience who God is and who he's inviting us to be together. We have some great opportunities for you to step into more of what that means for us together, including an opportunity to gather outside for live worship at our Bentendorf campus this coming Wednesday at 6.30. Again, that's 6.30 on August 12th outside of our Bentendorf campus. We'll be gathering for live prayer, live worship, live opportunity to connect with one another and celebrate who God is and what he's doing. You can find that information and so much more on our newly designed heritageqc.com homepage. You can register for in-person worship opportunities, find information about next events that are coming our way, give, connect in a group, or even connect your family in family-specific worship opportunities. So check out heritageqc.com and the Church Center app for all of that information and more. Our prayer is that in the days and weeks ahead, you would experience more and more of the more that Jesus has for you in these days. We look forward to seeing you soon.